Welcome to Wide Strike Zone. Here's this week's AL East news. The Toronto Blue Jays are hoping to see a rebound in 2024 from once-promising starter Alec Manoa. Manoa, considered a Cy Young candidate going into last season, instead endured a catastrophic meltdown ending in a demotion to the minor leagues. Some Blue Jays analysts believe Manoa's weight to have been an issue. Fears which were not quelled when they learned of his pregame warm-up routine. Playing somewhere over the rainbow on the ukulele. (laughs) The New York Yankees are expected to be active in free agency, and one name connected to the team is fireballing lefty Josh Hader. However, some close to the team have expressed concerns as to Hader's fit in the clubhouse. According to one high-ranking official, sure, he's made some racist comments, but he doesn't even beat his wife. The Red Sox, coming off yet another disappointing season, are expected to be active in free agency as well. New general manager Craig Breslow has made a point of singling out the international market, saying, We have Masataka Yoshida, and then you factor in Yoshinobu Yamamoto, Shota Imanaga, Jung-Ho Lee, Wusak Go. These are the names you go after when you don't need Jerry Remy to pronounce them. The Baltimore Orioles won the division in 2023 and drew record attendance doing so, but they have no intentions of stopping there. The Orioles are looking into new promotions to draw fans in in 2024. Some of them, like assorted Heritage Nights and Game of Thrones Night, are always going to be popular. However, some have raised eyebrows at a proposed new celebration. Kevin Costner fucked Cal Ripken Jr.'s wife (laughs) night. And finally, Ray shortstop Wander Franco remains on the team's restricted list, and the superstar's future in the game remains in doubt. Franco was placed on administrative leave in August, following revelations that he had a sexual relationship with an underaged girl. It's unlikely he ever plays Major League Baseball again, but he has drawn strong interest from Team Israel. <laughs> I condemn Hamas! I condemn Hamas! I condemn Hamas! Yeah, we had uh, we had wide strike zone. We'll be the first to say fuck Shohei Otani. This is just the beginning. Uh, he's only going to become more hateable, uh, which really is a shame. Nothing pure in this world can stay. I mean, the most the most tedious like phrasing is like, oh well, what a selfless move. Yeah, it's selfless to the like three people who are paying him. It is very selfish to all the people below him who mm-hmm. are trying to negotiate better deals for their part and don't have the. Uh, outside revenue streams, shall we say, to make uh, $50 million a year. And we're not talking endorsements. Exactly. Certain shipping channels and networks. <laughs> but no, it's, it, it, I, I'm already seeing people saying that, oh, this, can't, this is not going to set a precedent. Otani's a unicorn. That's how presidents get set. Right. The exact like, way any precedents get set, legal or otherwise, is through like these sort of extreme examples and people going, how can we mimic them as best as possible? And, you know, reasonable people going, uh, this should not be a thing. And then, like, even even if you, like, try and take that, like, as honestly and at his face value, like, okay, so then maybe Otani's not a unicorn, but maybe this does only apply to the the biggest stars of stars. Even that's bad. Like, yeah, and- the, surely the next big, I don't know who the next big um, free agent is, but surely they're going to be presented with 26 contracts like this 
yeah, 26 years, $800 million. But even beyond that, like what's the, what reason do teams now have to not ask like the guys they signed for 2 million? It's like, would you defer? Would you take 3 million with 2 million of it deferred until, I don't know, 2028 or whatever? Just these endless sort of uh, tax loophole like deals being finagled and held over players' heads and not even getting to the, the stuff about like, I mean, and this was like what's frustrating about this deal is that it's explicitly an issue. The the ML, uh, it's explicitly an issue raised about the Yankees in the 2000s, where it's they sort of pitched players implicitly on the deal that well, you should just take this money because you know you'll make more in in revenue in New York anyway. Mm-hmm. And there is something like that with the Dodgers. It's not necessarily like merchandising revenue, but to the Dodgers as a brand and mm-hmm. as a baseball team. Like, oh, we're the Dodgers. We always win. So you should take less money. It's just how rich people are treated in the world in a microcosm. But to see sort of like one of the quote unquote rich teams, which is always a misnomer when talking about any sort of baseball team. Yeah, of course. But to have one team sort of brazenly uh, approach that echelon in a way we haven't really seen in a long time is sort of like, it's not even sort of, it's just alarming. Yeah, it really is. And I think... Like, I, I think you're right. I think that it's it's more likely that it ends up happening to those people on those $2 million contracts because those are people and those are players in like a desperate place, you know, yeah, they're like, the ones it, who have to take that or they're they're taking or they're not going to play. Yeah, yeah, they're going to they're going to fucking live in Chattanooga or wherever. And it really does. Like I was talking with some people about this tonight, just about the nature of this deal is it's pretty much like when people win Powerball. And they're like, you can yeah. take it all now, or we'll give you $2 million a year for the next 40 years or whatever, which always ends up being a worse deal. Yeah, but, and again, I mean, you're talking about people that are making hundreds of million dollars, but still, the precedent being set by it is a bad one. And it's going to end up hurting the the most at-risk professional athletes. It is. It also just creates something similar to, like the call for baseball to have a salary cap is sort of you know, ridiculous or was ridiculous because you didn't have circumstances like this where it was actually just possible to endlessly kick the can down the road and essentially buy a super team at market rate without being punished accordingly under the current CBA. You know, there are people saying like, oh, well, it's not, it's in the CBA that this is legal. Like, first of all, that's how law works. Laws are stupid and they get changed or they're not stupid and they need like further strengthening. But it's... Beyond that, especially yeah. these kind of laws too, like ones that, in the grand scheme of things, are fairly inconsequential. Financial law, like you know, big business type stuff like that, they get changed all the time. They're fake, fake, arbitrarily enforced, and like largely meaningless to to the general public until suddenly it's not. Right, exactly. They set the standard. Have you read anything or heard anything about like if there is going to be? any pushback to this from the league or the, the union? Like I know that people immediately started calling for it, but what exists for that to even happen? So I was looking for this immediately. I saw a lot of sort of media sources saying, you know, Oh, this is legal under the CBA. Is there a chance MLB voids it? No, it's legal under the CBA. Well, first of all, who cares that that's not going to stop them. If they ultimately determine like, this is a loophole we do not see coming and we cannot abate this. Yeah. But more than anything, you know, I was looking for comments from the players union or other players. 
And I think that is sort of very telling. This will come up on a future episode, but we sort of with the Astros cheating scandal, the things other players uh, did and didn't say about different details. Mm-hmm. But it was a good way to read the tea leaves on what things were actually beyond the pale and unacceptable. And I have not seen any current players praising this deal. I have seen uh, certain former players who are now just media figureheads uh-huh. farming engagement with it. But all the guys who were congratulating Shohei when they saw the 700 million are not saying anything right now. And I think yeah. are correctly doing so. I am sure the players union has phones ringing off the hook. Probably rightly guys like the ones we're talking about who are sort of on that thin line between a minor league free agent deal or maybe getting $3 million to be a backup infielder who are, I think, very justifiably worried about this just being held over their heads forever. The notion that, well, if you want a major league deal, this is what you have to take because the precedent has been set now. Yeah, it was surely a stomach dropping moment. It, that is that God, that is so true. I mean, like when when it happened, all of the former and current players the the initial announcement of 700 million i mean you saw like joey vado be like i started i literally started cackling in a department store and people yeah. were like what's up with this guy and i bet that joey vado has a very different opinion on if he's going to have to decide can i come back for my 40th year does it actually mean i'm making $250,000 essentially in like the mlb 401k plan or right. like will i get a real deal like i've been getting for my whole career there's even like with the implicit thing with with Otani's deal being like, well, he makes 50 million endorsements a year anyway. Is that then going to be held against veteran players or even guys who are maybe more notable and have a sort of brand like Joey Votto? Mm-hmm. Being like, well, you should be merchandising yourself at this point. The uh, Instagram influencer model applied to professional athletes. In a way, it's sort of a, a morbid revealing nature and that that's sort of applied to everyone but them or people who are... Mm-hmm in that class and now the idea that no you should be supplementing your income as a major league baseball player yeah well god and that's the thing too that you'll hear so many people say is like why and you hear it every time there's even the union negotiate like you know the new collective bargaining agreements or we saw it with the actors and the writers this past summer where people were like oh well why do you care about this this is people that make so much more money than you it's like yeah if it's happening to them like, guess what they can do to the people that are working at fucking Walmart? Exactly. Like, if they're saying you should pick up a second job, maybe you should maybe you should start driving Uber, uh, Alex Bregman. <laughs> like, Exactly. And it's also, again, not to do the, uh, you know, there's a, there's a New York Times article every couple months where it's like $250,000 isn't that much in New York City or whatever. And being a Major League Baseball player, even making $2 million a year is a lot. But then you have agent fees, you have like other personal expense fees, you have your taxes. There's a lot of just sort of unseen tithes and obligations that come out of that salary. And also considering the fact that these are essentially completely non-transferable skills to any position other than like coach or scout, which do not have like the same sort of pay scale. You don't get paid $2 million to be a scout just because you were as a player. Like, I think about that a lot. Like, the guys who basically make it to Arb 1 and just, you know, get cut. They pro- they played, like, 200 games in their career. I could, you know, I'm sure people have someone in mind who fits this this description. But those guys spent six years in the minors. They made $1.5 or so in their career. So they made, like, hundred grand a year for nine years and then are now out of a job that they can never get a field in 
And then they have to, like, hopefully start a car dealership if they're lucky. They go into real estate, which is basically what all of them do. They take some yeah. like, crony real estate job from someone in the area who, you know, gives the the gigs out to college football quarterbacks who went undrafted. Mm-hmm. Similar to the, there was one guy, uh, Ryan Schimpf. I don't know if you remember him. Oh, yeah. I remember Ryan Schimpf. Yeah, I looked him up. Real estate guy now. Welcome to Add the Movies. I'm Roger Ebert, and I'm here with my special guest today, former Major League Baseball manager Buck Showalter. Today's film is Dancer in the Dark, the newest controversial release from cinema's premiere on Fonterie, Lars von Trier. Bjork shines in the heart-wrenching musical melodrama, but I can't help but wonder. Her radiance is enough to burst through the film's darkness, which is some might feel too deliberate to have any real impact. Buck, what did you think of Dancer in the Dark? I liked it. Not the most fun to watch, but, you know, I've had seasons like that. I'll score one for a true life experience. I'd prefer to score four or five, but I'll take that, I suppose. Well, I personally found the film incredibly riveting. Von Trier's total disregard for the fundamentals of filmmaking. You gotta have fundamentals. His disregard for the for conventions, when one is so aware of them and their purpose is enthralling. Bjork shoulders the burden of the film's manipulative intentions, and I knew from the start I was being played. But my heart, from the start as well, was a violin, and by the end my glasses were foggier than the bay. Did you find tears welling up towards the end, friend? Well, Ro- Roger, can I ask you something? Uh, of course. Have you seen Mulan? I have, yes. What does that... Well, that's a, that's a great movie. I watch it with my granddaughter all the time. She loves it. It, it is a great film, but I want to stay focused on Dancer in the Dark today. Along well, with, it, uh, it reminded me of Mulan. They have a lot in common. Uh, huh, elaborate on that. Well, they're, they're both about singing Chinese ladies. Bjork isn't Chinese. She's, she's not? Well, not as far as I'm aware. Huh. No wonder my granddaughter hated it. You watch Dancer in the Dark with your granddaughter. Well, she she saw me watching it, and she gets all excited. She's a singing Chinese lady, you know. She thinks, says, it's Mulan, it's Mulan. She loves Mulan. Well, she does have good taste. Made her want to be Chinese. Hell, made me want to be Chinese, too. I guess, guess you're not supposed to say that anymore. Well, I think it's fine. I think we can learn and admire all cultures. Hmm. You know, what's the director's name again? Larry Walker? Lars von Trier. He should have put Eddie Murphy in there. He wouldn't need to be a dragon or nothing. Now, I love that idea. Two of modern cinema's most volatile personalities colliding like the Tasmanian devil. I love Taz. There's a fellow who can make me cry. He is incredibly cool. Gene and I would argue about him all the time. Yeah, I, I think young ladies would have would have liked the movie more if Betty Murphy was in it. Especially if he was a dragon. I'm not picky. I'm sure it gets pretty boring to play a dragon all the time. I do think you've got a point, Buck, but one thing I've learned from all my years of doing this is that sometimes it's best to appreciate a film for what it is rather than what it isn't. That's a good point. Buck, any final thoughts on Dancer in the Dark? I think it and Mulan are both equally good. They got ups and downs, but they both have a little something for everyone. Whether you like dragons or Bjorn, all it really comes down to. Small differences, really. Uh, it's it's Bjork. Why do you keep saying that? Is there, is there a dog in here or something? Well, there you have it. Two thumbs up for Dancer in the Dark and Mulan? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I can get behind it. Uh, pleasure to have you, as always, Buck. Thanks, Roger. What's the line again? I'll see you at the movies. And maybe we'll see you at the ballpark? Well, yeah, I'm a little busy out there. If the Dodgers thought that it was a good idea to sign Shohei Otani to $700 million, even without the deferred 
contract because they wouldn't have to do that. It's a good business deal. He fucking prints money. He's he's the most marketable person in, in Major League Baseball. I do wonder if we'll get some sort of chain reaction. It would be sort of a, a fun irony if the circumstances of this deal make Otani unlikable in a way That's that keeps back from his, his financial potential just by virtue of having him on the roster. Like if oh, he is, man. yeah. If he is, if he is seen as this sort of amoral uh, baseball pervert who gives the Dodgers essentially free reign to ruin the game for a decade. Cause like if it is, if it does come to pass that the Dodgers do in fact sign Yoshinobu Yamamoto and like Blake Snell and effectively effectively run a $400 million payroll without facing consequences for it. That is kind of the kind of thing that would just make me want to tap out of the game. Yeah. I think a lot of people too. It is, it is what people claim they fear. And in fact, maybe do fear coming to fruition in a a way we haven't really ever had to reckon with. Yeah, I mean, you talking about like if this is if this is going to have a fallout that creates like a situation where Otani's not likable and not marketable, it really does feel in, in a lot of ways similar to when A Rod signed that huge contract, and that sort of made him public enemy number one of baseball. And the, the and, thing with Rod too, is I don't know how much of this has been memory holds or if it's a thing people do remember and it just doesn't come up enough, but the A-Rod wanting to be traded to the Red Sox. And yes, to I did want to talk more. about that. Yeah, we'll, we'll have an A-Rod episode soon. Maybe that needs to come up, but uh, get moved up in the, the queue, so to speak. No, that was something that had come up when I was talking with some friends about this earlier. Um, you know, like some some vague baseball fans who were just like, yo, what what's up with this? Like, tell me what's going on. And I was like, I literally have no idea. But the that was one of the first comparisons that that popped up for me, too, was when A-Rod tried to what, what was the deal with it? He tried to, like, essentially nullify his current contract with the Texas Rangers and it was, readjust it, was, it so that it would be lower and he would go to the Red Sox. Right. It was like Manny for A-Rod and other pieces. I don't even know if it was Manny. Regardless of the details, it essentially boiled down to him trying to essentially give up money in his contract to make to facilitate the deal, and the players' union rightfully said, "No, you can't do that," because that's incredible. Like that's what we have with Otani is pretty insane to be happening, but that one would set a truly fucked up situation. Well, what it was too is, and I think this is part of the case where you look at something and you have to factor in how much of what is implicit needs to be actually processed as explicit because A-Rod's mm-hmm. part of the Red Sox was he wanted the fame that came with the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry. He explicitly yeah. said, I want to be part of this rivalry. And at that point, it is teams essentially getting to leverage their own history and marketability as a way to bring down salaries, which is yeah. what Otani is himself acquiescing to. And I think the parallels are pretty significant. I don't know if you know, maybe I'm missing details. Maybe we are, and maybe everyone else has them. But I think, as a historical comparison, it's worth looking into why that one got vetoed immediately. When looking at if this one should, yeah, I mean, we'll see over the coming days. I think it's going to be this. This isn't a story that's going to go anywhere. This is what everybody's going to be talking about until the season starts. I feel like this. This is being recorded on Monday evening. This podcast is coming out on Friday. So when you listen to it, we'll either be uh, completely off base and irrelevant, and you can laugh at how wrong we were, 
Or you can go, wow, these guys are profits. I need to subscribe immediately. <laughs> Do they have a Patreon? I'll donate a, a 98% of my salary to it. <laughs> deferred installments. And let's just, let's throw out, I'm going to throw out one other thing just in case this does happen. I want to be the one to have got it on record first. Again, Monday, December 11th. Um, there is a chance that a T-100 is sent back in time to kill baby Otani and... <laughs> <laughs> and all of this gets wiped from the collective memory entirely. So with all that discussion about Otani, it's worth noting that the Angels, his former team, seem to have played no part in the negotiations to sign him. But we did uncover a news report that was suppressed, as it was intended to air sort of the day Otani signed with the Dodgers. It sort of details the attempts they did make to convince Otani to stay. So give it a listen and uh, maybe keep it on your radar for the upcoming season. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Trout has tits. It appears as though the Angels were willing to go to any extreme to convince Shohei Otani to re-sign with them and thought the best way to do so was to give their star center fielder a pair of absolutely massive cans. This, according to Artie Moreno. I saw the magazines the guy kept in his locker. So did Mike. They talked about it all the time. So we got to thinking and came up with a plan. and Things came together well. No one of the winning meetings of big acquisitions in us. Trout, being the de facto leader of the Angels organization, sets a strong example. According to official reports, without any sort of prompting or encouragement from management, a number of the team's young players have also been equipped with what can only be described as big honkin' gazongas. Jared Walsh, Nolan Shanuel, Logan O'Hoppy, and Luis Renjifo are not considered sizable assets in trade talks, but they do now have some of their own. Soon after, the team's veterans joined in, and a preliminary press release now advertises the Angels' quote, stacked lineup. The one holdout, of course, was Anthony Rendon, who had this to say. I'm more of an ass man. One player, catcher Max Stassi, was traded to the Atlanta Braves after receiving the procedure. However, he intends to keep his heaving honeys at his herd here, in his own words. I was apprehensive about them at first, but they really helped me balance behind the plate. They're great for blocking, too. The Braves told me they're a lot bigger than they usually like them, but they don't seem to mind otherwise. Mike Trout could not be reached for comment at this time, as he is in attendance to watch the Eagles play the Cowboys. We can report, however, that he has been recognized by fellow spectators for the first time. Only time will tell what ramifications this will have for an Angels squad entering a period of uncertainty. Some analysts have begun speculating that the injury-prone Trout will spend even more time on the injured list than usual, due to both back problems and hit-by-pitch issues from getting beamed in the tits a lot. One thing is for certain. Even in the absence of Shohei Otani, Moreno and his Angels will have something to put on a billboard this year. Well, folks, that's it for this week. We know we're very popular already, but we have to dispel the rumors. We have not signed with the Toronto Blue Jays. We'll see you next week on Wide Strike Zone.